I wanted to do a, another recap pod, another round table, like I've been saying in the Discord, and like I said on the last pod. Um, I would pull, you know, some of the same group back together, and similar to the Mexico game, uh, I would do a recap pod of the Panama game. So, here we are. Uh, welcome to another roundtable on the MLS Bench podcast. I am Joey. I have Nate. I have Karun with me right now, and probably some more people hopping in and out as we go uh, to break down the most emphatic win, certainly of qualifying so far. Make the case that, given the circumstances and the stakes of the game, it was the most emphatic win of the Berhalter tenure, which is something that we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll dive into later. Um, but for right now, uh, I just want, kind of want our first reactions on um, what was an extremely fun game to watch. Nate and I were at the game, so an extremely fun game to be at. Uh, Nate, I guess I'll just start with you. Between the atmosphere and just the way that we delivered in the attacking end that game certainly just felt fun yes i think fun is the perfect word for it uh you know not every moment not every touch was inch perfect but the vibes were immaculate we had a what was it a three nil lead going into halftime four Four. Four. You know, everyone in the stadium was excited. We got to see goals from our full starting front three. I don't think he could ask for a better game from a vibes perspective. Karun, you weren't at the game, correct? So what was it like watching at home? Because I got to imagine that some of those same vibes translated through the uh, television screen, right? Yeah, I mean, I was sort of anxious for like the first 10 minutes when we looked like we were about, I don't know, I kind of got a sense we were about to choke really hard. And then like Godoy goes and does dumbass shit and like he score. I'm like, oh. And then Stefan almost sees an equalizer and still a little nervy. And then we score a second. I'm like, oh, okay, we're going to win this. This is going to be pretty easy. And then it was like, honestly, it was just like, I was just chilling because, like, I feel like a lot of people were like super excited about shit. But me, like, I was sort of already at a state of belief with the Mexico game. And I was like, oh, okay, well, if we're doing this, we should probably beat Panama. And then we were beating Panama. I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, between the, the first penalty, which, what, it goes to VAR, and those of us who know anything about VAR, like, yeah, it's probably going to get overturned, especially in CONCACAF, which generally lets more go. Um, we might touch on that at some point because the ref didn't let a ton go in this game. But, I mean, still let enough go to not make it a unenjoyable game. Um, and it just after that first goal went in, Panama had that crazy scramble down at the other end that they weren't able to convert. I've watched that back. I'm not sure how they didn't score still. I mean, I, I truly don't know, but that doesn't go in. From that point on, um, we quickly went down the other end. Uh, Paul Ariola with an unbelievable header for a man of his. Um, 
a strong yet uh slightly diminutive stature. Uh I believe he's five seven. So header goals don't come easy if you're at that height. Just ask me. Uh like maybe last year. I think I was five seven. And between Ariola getting his goal, Ferreira getting his tap in, uh three goals in a ten minute span. Just it, it just all came together very nicely and by halftime, um I'm sure people were already uh, rowing their second beers uh, in the American Outlaws section. Um, it, I don't know how to necessarily characterize the game as a whole, but I think, and Burhalter touched on this in his post-game presser, giving, uh, giving Pulisic the armband, even though Adams has kind of been more the captain throughout the cycle, was a sign, at least... Um, and at least touching on, at least in uh, Burhalter's view, to the Coover experience, to the fact that this was the must-win game of the cycle, um, and that Pulisic was on the field when it all went wrong four and a half years ago. I think the word to describe this game, and I said this immediately afterward, was simply, it was cathartic. It was cathartic for many reasons, but particularly because in the must-win game, this time we got it done, and we're... I can say but almost complete certainty that we're going to the World Cup. Uh Jackie, I see you popped in. Yeah. You were at the game. Um do you wanna give me your general vibes or do you have a, a slightly deeper take on the game? Yeah, I actually rewatched the game today because um if I'm being honest, I remember the vibes way more than I remember any of the play from like the actual game. I in fact missed both Ariola and Ferreira's goals because they happened in too quick of a time span with each other. And I was, I don't know, like taking care of myself, using the restroom, getting beers, etc. So that was kind of a bummer. So it was nice to see the goals um, like in the replay this morning. Um, I feel like my slightly more deep and thoughtful take is that I saw, I like Jedi's like, unstoppable i literally have no idea how he was able to run well i was gonna say run up and down the field but field but i really mean run at all like he, he was continuing to sprint down the field and throwing crosses like like pretty much all the way through the game and i can't believe he hasn't gassed out because the like players in the championship play more games anyway and he's a pretty like the way he plays requires a lot of energy. Uh, so yeah, Jedi really stuck out to me. Um, I like, I guess, I guess he he's the he's the guy that stuck out. Also, Luca Delatore was kind of everywhere too. Uh, I didn't notice that Kellen Acosta had subbed on for Yunus Musa when I was actually at the game, um, which you know vibes. But uh, he didn't do anything that made me, like, concerned. I think, like, no one had a bad game. I feel like the the takes around Stefan were maybe a little negative, but I thought he had a perfectly fine game, too. Like, he made plenty of saves. He, like, seemed to be barking at his back line the way I would expect a goalie to, and I don't think that the goal that was scored was, like, one that was super easily saveable. So, like both during the game and on the rewatch, 
surprisingly good vibes even for me you know yeah uh karun um did you have any players that stood out to you uh similar to how anthony uh jedi robinson stood out for uh, most of us well the player that stands out to me because in my mind the most important part of the game was the thing like leading to that first goal was Pulisic because Pulisic was basically continually keeping pressure on the back line like I uh, call he, he had he had some method pass he had service and like every set piece he was hitting well and so you know you had to sort of crescendo into when is the when is it going to break and then it broke and Pulisic basically makes the penalty I guess by serving the ball in a dangerous area and Godoy just doing whatever but the first like thing is to me is like the most important part of the game went to Pulisic basically forcing like you know just throwing everything at the dam and then the dam broke um yeah the other player who stood out to me was um Anthony I guess he just did a bunch of shit Raynor made some really good passes. I think half space is just the least that plus minor thing, but uh, to people watching the podcast, what half spaces does is they just, they watch the game in excruciating like detail or whatever, over and over again, they track, they kind of track everything. And um, Raynor and Pulisic will like match that per 90 plus minus of like 15.6. And you know, Vayna was just hitting those passes, which no one else in a pool does, besides, I guess, John Books. Um, the player who stood out to me negatively was Zach Steffen. I don't blame him for the goal, but there were like two times when he didn't claim the ball, and that could have easily been converted by a better team. Other than that, I kind of like didn't really take that much analytically because like after the goal, it kind of just became a track meet, which I think was somewhat a tactical goal of Greg. Like from what I understand tactically, you Panama was going to come attack and they were kind of going to like just, they weren't going to defend that well. So he just lumped it up directly and was like, I. You don't need to worry about all this possession shit. We'll just direct and they'll fuck up and they'll concede goals. And they did. Yeah. Um, I guess it's the time to issue a Mia culpa from the last pod where I said that Panama wasn't going to play and they were going to sit back and defend and try and hit on the counter. Um, I was wrong. I think the final stat uh, was in the 60% possession-ish range for Panama. It was somewhere 60 point something percent possession. Um, shout out to Bill Connolly with those stats. Uh, he does a great job, um, always with those. But it, at the game, it felt that way too. It felt like Panama was getting sixty percent possession. It felt like Panama had the ball, and then it felt like every time the United States touched the ball, they were going to score. I mean, it was one of those games where just after those that that first flurry of goals, it was every time the United States touched the ball. They were dangerous. Every time they ran at the Panamanian back line, they were yeah. producing something. They were getting into dangerous areas, which is kind of the culmination of what Greg's been hoping this team to be. We're not a possession team. We're not going to hold the ball 60% uh, against 
a good defense and make stuff happen. Uh, you can just look at the uh, the Canada games for that. Uh, you got a disciplined team who can hit on the counter, similar to us. We're not going to win that game when we have uh, when we have um, more possession than the other team. But in this game, it just worked perfectly because Panama didn't threaten enough. They threatened some. You're going to when you have 60% possession. But they just didn't threaten enough to produce anything overly dangerous. Nate, did you kind of get that feel that when the U.S. got the ball, they were just so much more dangerous in their opportunities than Panama? Yeah, I can't remember too many times where we got on the ball and didn't at least get a cross or a shot out of it. There were a couple of, you know, blocked crosses uh, a couple of times where we put the ball over the goal. But even then, that's that's still danger adjacent, right? Oh, yeah. No, I, I think not to go back to. Go ahead, Jackie. Not to go back to something you said like three minutes ago, but do you really think that Greg's intention was not to play possession? Like you said something like, and that's what Greg is intending. He wants, he doesn't want the team to play the possession soccer. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that's what he was aiming for. Like to me, this felt like him kind of finally conceding that even with the talent that the U.S. has, we're still a, we still play the best when we're a chip on the shoulder, press people, annoy people type team. No, I, I don't know. I, I agree. And that's kind of what I'm, I guess that's kind of my point is Greg, and I was going to get into this more after like the specific game recap, but I guess we're kind of here now. Um, that. Greg has evolved. This team has evolved. It's not the same team that took the field versus El Salvador, or even the team that took the field in St. Paul against Honduras. This is a team that, and this is a coach in Greg, that I think has molded his identity and has become wiser throughout qualifying. We can point at specific things, specific call-ups that we don't like, but when we played against Mexico in the Azteca, we decided to let them have the ball, and we should have won that game. He saw that that worked. I'm not saying he wanted Panama to have 60% possession, but there was no urgency in the press once they got the ball to midfield. We were inviting them in. We were inviting them 30 yards from goal, and that's really when it started. So I'm not saying that Gray wanted us to have 40% of the possession, but he wanted us to, when they had the ball, to get them into trap positions, which will more often than not lead to not having more of the ball and yet creating those opportunities on the counter that the United States were so good at, you know, taking and using and really getting goals from. Uh, definitely the second goal uh, came from that. Um, you can make a case that maybe the third goal did as well. And really that stretch in the first half where it was all going right all came from transition, all came from Panama turnovers, even in the U.S. attacking third, that the U.S. were just able to outrun uh, Panama. Um, Karun, do you have anything on that playing style? I don't agree with the statement that he finally 
realized we were a we were a team built for transition in the Panama game because you can see the faces of that all the way back. Even in the Nations League, in the win against Canada, we stopped pressing them. And then in the Gold Cup, second half of Qatar, we stopped pressing them. We saw a highlighter confrontation. We kind we take control of the game. Then Mexico, C team, I think Mexico completed 51% of their passes in their own half or some shit. I don't. In the C team, we were throwing a high line. We sort of went toe to toe with them that way. And then, you know, if you track the Mexico games where we have an opponent who lets us play that way, the next game in at Cincinnati, they complete 64% of their passes in their own half. We are pressing them and we are just controlling. You know, it's like, it's not exactly the way the old, old teams doing. It's like, we go, we will press you in your half, we force turnovers, then we convert those turnovers to goals. The reason why it's not felt like we've been that type of team through a lot of qualifying is the opponents we were playing are generally not letting us do that. Like Panama is an exception to this because Panama always play this open way, even when it makes no sense to. They did it away at the Azteca, they did it at the World Cup. But so Honduras, Canada, Costa Rica. Honduras, again, at home they were offensive, but in the in our place, they set back and we really didn't create that much open play. Uh Costa Rica, they sat back. So, you know, you can't press, it's not as easy to just press a team when they're actively trying not to let you press them by sitting back. I don't think it's so much that Greg's now realized we're a transition team. I think it's at the game states of Panama needing a win and also being a kind of team that likes to attack and also not being that good at defense at a condition where we're able to just, you know, press them, score goals. But I don't think that means Greg just realized. I think we've been trying to do this pressing thing for a while. Yeah, I, I'm with you in that we press. I, I don't, I, initially you said that I was saying that this was the first game that you figured that out. I was saying Matthew that more. Said that, I believe. Yeah, I, I was saying that more for, like, the window as a whole, like, really transitioning from the Canada game and the El Salvador game. I mean, the, the Honduras game was whatever. It was so cold, and we got three goals, albeit off set pieces, got three goals, and in basically zero degree with wind chill, sub-zero degree temperatures. But really, the first two games of that window, we had the possession, and we created very little to show for it. I think my point is more that those games that we had to hit on the counter, um, for example, Mexico in both the Gold Cup and obviously in the Nations League game, those were almost necessitated due to the fact that Mexico was simply outplaying us. We got lucky in those games. I think Mexico had more of the ball, had the better chances, and probably should have put us away in both those games. 
I think disagree in the games with you on the Gold Cup for that thing. What do you say? I disagree with you on the Gold Cup for that. I think there's like a fundamental difference between the Nations League and the Gold Cup tactically because the Nations League we set a low block. In the Gold Cup, we threw a high line. And I think if you actually look at the best chances of the Gold Cup, open play you have Aliola's shot that hits the post in the box. You have Dardes 1v1. And Mexico's best chance came from a set piece, while in the Nations League, from open play, Mexico swamped us in XG. They scored two goals, and we only really started matching them in extra time, partially due to Adam's subbing on. Yeah, I, I'm with you on how we create those chances in the um the gold cup game is like yeah they both came from mistakes by the mexico backline us pressing them turnovers and you know stuff like that but i think it is not the same style of pressing but it comes down to the same idea that we never really tried to quote unquote have the ball in either of those games and mexico was perfectly content not giving us the ball which i mean in the nations league game helped maybe more i mean again both of those games, the goals didn't necessarily show for it, but we had good chances in that Nations League game off the counter. Um, I agree that the Mexico game was more uh, more chances forced from that high press, but I think it comes down to the same idea that when Gray chooses to have the ball, I think it's I think we're kind of getting into the nitty gritty of how you press. When Gray chooses to have the ball, and when we choose to have the ball, that's when the problems come. Because you're right, we aren't when teams don't allow us to press them, we will, and we have the ball more, and they don't open themselves up as much. That's the problem. Now, I, I think in relation to this Panama game, that was particularly the issue for Panama is that they opened up, is that they gave us um, opportunities to hit them on the counter because one mistake in possession, and we were flying the other way. Uh, I, I think in large part, though, Due to the kind of the waves of press, this is getting very tactical, and I wanted this to be more of a vibes pod. But in the way that the front three really pressed them, really pressed them hard, especially in the first thirty minutes, leading to turnovers um, by the goalkeeper, some iffy moments uh, in their defensive third when they were in possession, it created an unsettled, like it unsettled the game. I read an article, or I, I was listening to maybe it was TSS or um, Allocation Disorder, and they were saying that maybe the moment that turned the, those first five to ten shaky minutes into really what happened in the 20 minutes afterwards is when I think it was Jesus Ferreira and Christian Pulisic, or some combination of two players, I think, involving Pulisic, um, pressed uh, a Panamanian player, basically pinned them to the sideline. We won the ball back. I think it was Tyler Adams, maybe, and Christian Pulisic won the ball back on the sideline and then broke the other way. And I, I think maybe it was Sam Stagecoll who was saying that uh, the, the crowd really got into it and it really that was the first time they really felt like um, the crowd was getting into it and players were feeding off of it. I, I think that... Yeah, for sure. Because, like realistically here right like i am not going to come with an encyclopedic knowledge of how the 2021 gold cup games or the 2021 Concacaf nations league games went 
Um, like, right. Like I just, I don't know that stuff off the top of my head. So I'm not going to be able to talk about how, what pressing triggers or whatever we're like. Right. But I can talk as a fan who knows enough about soccer to be talking with you all about soccer. Right. And like, whether or not this was one of the first games where Greg did or did not figure out how to press people or whatever. Right. Ultimately, like the feeling that I, as a fan, got, and I think if you look on Twitter, Reddit, et cetera, the, like, the fan base felt in general was like, oh, this is getting scrappy, like, the players are trying, like, they're putting so much effort in, whereas, like, I think the perception with, like, the the styles where, you, you know, you're holding the ball, you're passing it back, you're, you know, trying to do slow buildup or whatever, like, I I think I think I think what I meant to say, right? And I think we got into like the we got into the weeds a little bit because I said something that was meant to be general and and it, you know, it wasn't taken that way necessarily. It was just that like I think that I think the US despite being like 350 million people and having a bigger GDP than like everyone else combined like does better when they think they're underdogs. And I think like for some reason, they came into this game, like, trying to fight and, like, thinking that they were fighting for their lives or whatever. And I thought they, I thought it was a better time. I don't know. Does I, that make sense? I, no, no, I think I'm this with is you. almost more of how I expected the game against Mexico to go, right? Yeah, agree. We had a bench-clearing brawl. We had Pulisic getting into a fight with the referee. We had Luca De La Torre just stone-cold murderer face. Interacting with every member. Did you see Panama. the one pay video? Was oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I love he that. Just, he just pulls up. He's like, the only emotion he has is loyalty. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. Look, I felt like that game, because of just the circumstances that it was in, and that we had to get a win, um, necessitated a certain amount of emotion. That we hadn't necessarily shown, for better or for worse, you could not showing emotion is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think in this game, I think though, this is the thing, right? I think needed. the U.S. fan base is really the U.S. fan base of, to be honest, pre the last World Cup that we played in, right? Which is like the last time soccer was like truly everywhere, right? Like you'd look around and bars would have signs and people would be wearing soccer shirts and it would be on the front page of like, you know, news websites and Buzzfeed or whatever. Right. Like that was a 2014 world cup. And so I think people are really used to like the, we are emotional first and then we'll figure out the tactics later thing. And like Klinsman was not, I understand that you couldn't play like Klinsman forever, but like that was the vibe going into that world cup. That's yeah. like, that's like what people think the team is because that's like the last time we it, soccer was on the forefront of everyone's minds in that way and i think like looking forward to if we do qualify which i refuse to say we are qualified until we're actually qualified um but if we do qualify like there's gonna have to be like frankly like a marketing push from u.s soccer right to push the team to the forefront again and like I don't know if this is the best style for the team, but like, it's not fun to watch teams not play passionately and emotionally, you know? Yeah. 
No, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. How familiar were you with the 2010 team? That for Jackie. I got into soccer because I was working at a bar during the 2014 World Cup. Yeah, the 2014 World Cup was the the first one that I really paid attention to. So I bring that team up because that was also one of the defining characteristics, at least perception-wise, of the 2010 team. And you had a lot of, like, games with those, like, two goals down against Costa Rica, equalized. Two goals down against Slovenia, equalized. Should have won. Two goals down against El Salvador. You needed three goal win against Egypt. Win by three goals. That passion, that fight you're talking about, it was there with the 2014 team, definitely the John Brooks goal, Belgium, but two goals down, we do everything. But the thing that distinguishes the 2010 team to me from the other teams is they did it when the game stage, which is like the um, what a team wants to do, like do they need to defend the lead, uh, extend the lead, they were able to do it when the game states did not favor them. So last game in the 2010 hex, Costa Rica needs a tie and they're in the World Cup. They're two goals up. U.S. scores two goals to equalize. Egypt, they need a tie. They're in the next round of the Confederations Cup. U.S. scores three goals to advance. Slovenia, they're two goals up. Hold this lead. You're in the next stage of the round of 16. U.S. scores two goals to tie. What I haven't really seen from this team is the ability to pull that that ability to find a goal out of nothing when the opposing team has a wasted invest in not in protecting what they already have. That's an interesting way of putting it. Because this Panama team did a win. They came in needing... Uh, I believe they came in needing all three points. Maybe they yeah. needed one. Maybe they needed three. I... I yeah, exactly. The U.S. needed to win. Yeah, yeah. I well, the U.S. needed to win. I'm saying Panama. Like, like I think Panama needed a win because Costa Rica. U.S. needed a tie. Right, right. The U.S. at least needed a tie to stay alive. Or, U.S. didn't need points from that game, but like theoretically, we needed points. I'm saying, for Panama's perspective, like to mathematically stay alive, I believe they needed a win. They were going to try and get goals in this game. I remember saying it to the person sitting next to me at the stadium, like after we scored one, certainly after we scored two, it's like, Panama's going to have to go for this game. This is going to open up even more. I think the real defining characteristic, though, of this game for me was not to get, like, sentimental and all, but this was the game. This There hasn't been a must-win game in this cycle. This was the one. This was the one that, if the U.S. doesn't get three points, it is firmly out of our hands to qualify. We are Oh, I'm not going to say we're back in Cuba, but we're almost back in Cuba, where... It's not out of our hands. We would still have a Costa Rica game, and it's still win in UN. Yes, it, I mean, yes, it, technically yes, no. so, but, but understood what you mean by saying, you know, like, if we didn't win yeah. this game, we are back in Cuba because we need points from Costa Rica, yeah. right? And we don't even have the privilege of saying, like, oh, we should be able to beat X team because... Like, we that is not true about Costa Rica in the same way that it was true in Georgia Radden to be. I understand what you mean, Joe. Right. 
Right, right. Yeah. And I think my point is kind of this team came together. We had a, a stomach bug that knocked out 20 players and staff. We had Reggie Cannon with COVID, Shaq Moore getting to the United States three, three days before he was going to play the must-win World Cup qualifier. Maybe the biggest game of his life, definitely for the national team. Um, this was the game that was going to define the Burhalter tenure of the chips aren't down, but everything is in front of you. If you win, you're going to the World Cup, and if you lose, everything is up in the air. And yeah. they came through. Lissick came through. Everybody who needed to come through, who needed to put in a shift after a remarkably difficult and well-deserved tie at the Azteca need to put in a shift, and they did. That was kind of what stuck out to me. This is what kind of made it a vibes game for me, unless about the actual tactics, is like, it didn't matter how we had to win. We just had to win. And this is the first time in qualifying where I'm like, we just needed to emotionally show up for this game. Just emotionally to be there, or else yeah. Panama could have easily nipped one well, on the counter and won one nil. And we showed up, we got the win. Now, I think as it pertains to how can we do this moving forward, I think it's difficult. Isn't Not every game is going to be at home in perfect conditions where the fans are 95% behind you and where everything's kind of shaping up perfectly for you. It's not going to happen that way. It's just not. But for the U.S. to show this gave me a lot of hope, especially after the Mexico game of like, oh, this team's this team can and will put in the shift when it needs to. I think, and the guys that we have, like Jedi, like Tyler Adams, like, I mean, Yunus Musa was clearly gassed, but those guys were still running their hearts out. Um, Pulisic as well. Um, I wanted to just quickly give a shout out to some of the MLS guys. Like, I, I know we're an MLS pod. I firmly believe that an MLS quota is absolutely necessary. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, <laughs> shout out i'm in a good mood because of the game the way, ending of the way it did so i'm not gonna get into that with you right now <laughs> i said this to jackie and the- also i have to eat crow because paul Ariola and jesus Pereira both scored goals so who am i kidding <laughs> yeah i mean i said this to jackie like, right after the game i'm like this is why this this shows why the mls is necessary in the construction of the national team I mean, I don't. Com- I mean, I don't completely believe that. Like, MLS has its flaws, as does the you know the uh complete euro euro based argument. Like, we definitely need a mix. That's not really my point. It's more um, I- I'm more just kind of poking the bear, as many on Twitter have done mm-hmm. in the recent days. But in all fairness, Paul Ariola played very well. Jesus Ferreira proved again why, in my mind, he's the number one striker in the pool. Walker Zimmerman has continued, uh, like we said on the last pod, more Walker Zimmerman love on this one, continued to show why he is number one center back in the pool and why he, I mean, deserves every bit of praise that's come to him uh, because of the way that he's just state his name. Um, I I would penciled it in and um, to the starting 11 now every single game. I don't even have to really look for his name. I know it's going to be there. And Miles Robinson, too, just to um, throw his name out there. We have some guys who 
have flown under the radar because they are in MLS. But when they needed to show up, showed up, and guys like Robinson Zimmerman have been doing it for quite some time. Nate, I don't necessarily need you to give me the state of the MLS as it pertains to the USMNT. But those guys specifically, I, I think the assessment can really only be good of their performance in this game. There were, I mean, almost no um, blemishes on the record as it pertains to the 90 minutes versus Panama. Joy, are you asking me to be a Debbie Downer about Jesus Ferreira? Because I will, I will take that burden if, if that's no, what you want. No, 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 Should I pull I, a cold water on some of this? No, no, nobody pulled. <laughs> okay. I do just want to point out that, you know, Jesus had his goal, but he got very good service this game. Um, and I think most of his big contributions were in the press and in his dropping much deeper than uh, I think our nines typically would. Um, you know, sitting in the outlaws section with the the aerial view, I, I mentioned a couple of times to the folks sitting next to me, wow, look how deep Jesus is playing. He's almost like a false nine this game. Um, and to be fair, he was very successful at that, but he was not necessarily out there to be the the finisher, if that makes sense. Does he? Do we need him to that finisher nine? Because I feel like every time we put out just a finisher nine, but, I mean, I guess removing second That's half versus fun. Honduras and Jamaica game. Every time Pepe. we've done it once. <laughs> What in the last? I I'm I'm curious what you mean by every time we put out a finisher nine. Like because times. if I'm being honest, I think we have one finisher nine, and he hasn't played very much. I don't mean finisher nine in terms of like their actual goal assist record. I mean a finisher nine as in like how they generally play. Like Justin P. Fuck. I mean that's not his name, but. Jordan P. Fock, yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't know why I thought it was Sebastian. Yeah, I, no worries. I mean, I, I think Ricardo Pepe fills that that role pretty well. Generally, the one who's going to stretch the center backs, who's going to occupy the box and try and make those two-yard runs in the box to open him up with space, that's kind of what a, like a traditional nine is for me. Like, you don't have to be winning every aerial battle, but him and Pfock, that's kind of like the finisher nines out of the pool, and Jesus is the more experimental nine, I guess, more in like the Gabriel Jesus slash like Phil Foden at City role kind of, or how I see. Um, no, if I agree with you, but I mean, Pepe, I feel theoretically would is fits more into the Dardes thing, like pluses, he does link up, he. It's open and he puts goals. PFOC to me is more of like you put him, he's a big body, he does, he bullies defenders and he finishes. That's he gets open and he finishes. I feel like PFOC is more disproportionately a finisher than Pepe is. And I will say, honestly, for like I think since around 2022 started. For both club and country, Pepe's been pretty not good. Oh, I I, think. I wasn't making like 
an assessment of how they've played. I'm making more of an assessment of how they play in the generic sense of what they will do on the pitch, where their heat maps will be, where, like the spaces that they're going to occupy. Ferreira, for me, is just the more complete option. He finished a goal in this game. Only yeah. one that he really didn't finish is one that he kind of took quickly. I It was a little bit of a weird one where Luca plays the ball in, he tries to take it with his right, and he just doesn't get his foot around the ball. The only other one I can really remember is a bicycle kick that came pretty close. He, he put it over a little bit, but like didn't have that many chances in the game. But we still score goals, and he scored goals. And for me, like, between what he was able to do, pressing, winning the ball back, creating havoc um, for that Panama buildup, especially when they were in their own defensive third, I remember him even tracking back um, in the, you know, central midfield at times, win the ball back. He was always able to get back to the box and occupy those dangerous spaces. I don't think my point is that he provides a better finishing option than the other two. But as a complete option, I think he's better. And I think versus a variety of teams can be the better option. If we're going to play a game that's 90% in the air, okay, maybe don't put him in. But if we're going to play a game that we're going to have some build-up, we're going to be trying to you know, get in transition, quick layoffs, quick passes, technical, um, quick, quick techie touches from all the players... He's the guy, and this was the game oh, that yeah. needed I that. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I think... These three strikers, I would start Jesus because we are a high-passing team. He passes, and he also does all that distribution thing, and yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I, on my joke... I will say, though, yeah. I feel like Josh Nogent does that, too. Yeah. And Yeah. No, I'm with you. Y'all like know team. I'm a Josh Sargent truther. Y'all know yeah. I'm a Josh Sargent truther. Yeah, we know, we know, Jackie. I mean, like the thing is, like with Sargent, it's hard to say start scoring goals because it's so much harder than we make it seem. I mean, it's so much harder. But you also score the two goals. This... Like I, I Ferrer scored a hat trick. I know it's MLS versus the Prem. I understand that. Or anybody choose me out on that. But Ferreira scores goals and he's scored now a goal with the national team. He's looked good when he's played for the national team, even though he missed that chance in the El Salvador game. Other than that, he was incredibly good at sustaining build up and helped produce a goal in that game. Right, that was his first start. First start? Yeah, first first start. This was his second start, and he got a goal in this one and produced some great moments in build-up as well. I He was really good in the El Salvador game. He was really good in the El Salvador game. Like, he I, made he, a bunch of chances. crap on that performance all the time. I don't know why. He was great. And yeah, I, we've gotten into the nitty-gritty a little bit in the pod, but my point... I yeah, think I was, was going to say, Joey, I think your original question was MLS players as a whole, uh, how did they perform in this game? And of the... The MLS guys in the front, uh, front three, I think he was the best. Uh, Paul I think had Jesus a pretty good game. Paul. He's the most sustainable of the 
Yes. Yes. That's yes. a very good way of summarizing it. Paul's not going to score a headed goal every game. Because I, <laughs> That's so true. Like, oh, my bad. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, I like Jesus. I would have him on my World Cup roster. What I will say, though, is when we're talking, this is the last time I'll be, I'll criticize the whole MLS thing, because this is an MLS podcast and we should be about lives. But I will say, you have to adjust the competition a bit. Like, yeah. Ricardo Pepe, he scored 17 goals in MLS. He is now at the Bundesliga. And in basically every metric, he is doing worse than Josh Sargent was for like two years at the Bundesliga. And Sargent's still doing more, in, even in terms of danger around the box, in the Premier League, which is honestly a better league with better teams. So I would, so I still think Sargent has a place in this team because in my mind, he's still at least the best defensive player before which, and there are contacts, there's context where that is useful. Like if you're playing France at the World Cup, do you not want the best defender at your position who also is good at hold up play? And honestly might still be like the second, might still probably be one of the best finishers in your pool. I'm just saying. That being said, because this is an MLS podcast, should we celebrate the multiple nice MLS performances we've gotten across the international stage? Yes. Yeah, yes is the answer to that. I mean, like, I think my general I was going to go on a Josh Sargent truth or rant, but I'll, I'll allow you to talk about MLS on your MLS podcast. Sure. I think, <laughs> yeah, we got into the weeds on Herrera versus the rest of the pool. And like Nate was saying, that wasn't necessarily the point. The point was more like these guys are producing. And I just kind of wanted to shout that out because these are the guys that don't get the press. Because, I mean, it's not the quote-unquote sexy positions, right? It's center backs. It's Matt Turner in goal. Uh, it's, you know, Paul Ariola having to put in a shift here and there. And Kellen Acosta in the midfield having to do the same, not really an attacking role more in just kind of facilitator or defense defensive roles particularly for like I, I said the center backs this turn. is the game I would hype defense for people kind of shorty yeah I mean we, we were great I think I feel more that it actually came from the midfield and like allowing them to get in and around the box because that was gonna be my last point on this game is just for a little point of concern they were they got a little bit too close for to, for my liking on multiple occasions, they got Godoy got his header, nice header, um, in the end. But they just got a little bit too close a couple times. Where... Yeah. <laughs> right, like I don't know if that's on Adams or who's that on. Maybe a center back has to step. But we were inviting them in and from the a defense. little bit too far. Anybody but... have like Jackie, do you have anything on like I know you're not big on um, stuff that didn't happen in the game. Like, we we pointed out before, you're not a big expected goals person. But, like, do you have anything on how we allowed them so close and why we didn't step sooner, I guess? 
four or five for the entire second half, right? Yeah. Like, to me, like, I understood that people probably were conserving their energy more than they should have, to put it politely. Uh, But also, they had just played, like, a bile up a mountain for 90 minutes, and, like, that was a very aggressive game, right? And then you come here, and the first 45 minutes were extremely aggressive. And so, yeah, like, if they got close, like... And they trusted their CBs and Zach Steffen to make saves when they needed to. I'm like almost just okay with that because we took care of business in the first half. Now, I don't know that that's a sustainable strategy because our team is not a team that likes to take care of any sort of business of any game. But like in this particular case, I was actually fine with it. Uh, I think like if, if we're zooming out a little bit and returning to the point you were making about this team being able to do what they needed to do, like, and this being one of the first opportunities where that up, uh, where that came up kind of, you know, like this was a must win game. Like, I think, I think I'm okay with things that aren't necessarily repeatable during games where the stakes are really high and all that needs to happen is a result needs to happen. Right. Like, if this were a team that played in the Premier League week in, week out, and there were like the sample size was much bigger and there were FA Cups and League Cups and whatever, then like maybe I would be like, hey, uh, I think I triggered my Siri. Sorry. Um, like if we were if we were like in the Premier League or something and like, you know, this team needed to have stuff that worked all the time through 25 games and three different leagues then maybe i'd have more criticism about it but like this was a game where they didn't really need to do anything other than win right it's the same with like the nation's league i think that's like the only other game i could think of where the stakes were high and it was just a matter of just do the thing we don't care how like right right and, uh, I think, yeah yeah, so to me, like, weirdly, I'm not that worried about us having not been, like, the most defensive stalwarty team in the in the world during the second half of the game because they'd already done the thing. It was just a matter of seeing it out. Right, right. Like, there, were a few, there were a few times in the first half, like, really the one that, like, I again, I said I don't know how they didn't put that one in. I think for me, it, it's... I, I think we didn't expect them to really threaten as much as they did, which is part of the reason why I think we invited maybe more pressure than we could have or should have. Maybe we should have pressed them a little bit higher, been a little more touch tight within 20 to 25 yards when I think we were giving them opportunity, like the striker. Again, I didn't rewatch this game. I, I mentioned that before because I just wanted this to be a vibes podcast. Um, The way that I I do remember that their striker, I forget, don't, or I forget his name. He was like checking in, um, a little bit too easy to the top of the box. Uh, he was getting a little bit too much time, um, to lay off. Uh, Godoy had a shot, I think, in the first half, or maybe it was Karaskia in and around the box. I was just like, uh, why did we let that happen? Because could have prevented that. So there was a few times of those, but yeah, I, I, I am with you. I think that's a little more game to game stuff that's not necessarily repeatable um again yeah i just 
There were just so many good performances all over the field. Shaq Moore, Walker Zimmerman. Um, oh my God! Shout out to Shaq Moore, Shaq Moore for man. literally like getting the understudy, understudy, understudy call up, and like not making a fool of himself. You know, like oh, I for thought me, he looked like, great. Not that I don't, I don't think he is a bad player, but my expectations were on the ground because like the bar was that low for me because I was like, I can't believe he literally flew here from Spain, like. I flew three hours east and I was jet lagged. So I cannot imagine how he was feeling about to play this must win game. And like, it was really refreshing that this like, frankly, random guy who is like our fourth or fifth best right back, we could call him up and he could like do the thing. Right. Right. Like that actually makes me feel really good about the state of our, like our team's depth because like, there, there's gonna be like this this I think part of the reason also why the stakes were so high and people were so passionate and this game felt so good to win was because like we were kind of in the sh- like we were it was a shitty situation right like like Des got hurt Reggie Reggie had the COVID test like w- we only called up one left back to start and like do we trust George Bello unclear like right there was a lot of there was a lot of that Brendan Aronson West etc and so like it is nice to know that if you call up someone last, last, last minute, they're still going to do the thing. And I thought he had some pretty good runs. He looked gassed by the end of the game, but I don't blame him at all. Um, yeah. I And like, he doesn't have to play the next game, right? Like, right. so he left everything out there and yeah, just yeah. shoot shout outs to him. Cause that, that must've been a hell of a call. Imagine it's just like vacation for you. Literally. Like you're drinking a beer and you get a call from Greg Berhalter, like, hey, we need you to come play the most important game in the last year. You good? I mean, like, yeah. Last last year is a, probably an understatement. Probably last four years. Last right? five years. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, honestly, though. Yeah. I, I think he plays on the Canary Islands. I think that's where Tenerife is located. I think I saw somebody say that the other day. Like, you're just chilling on the Canary Islands. Like, that's kind of crazy. Anyways. And I'll give you the last word on the on this game. Anything more you wanted to touch on um, before we kind of transition to Costa Rica and hopefully the vibes that will follow that one, which will be World Cup bound vibes. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that Gio Reyna's name hasn't come up yet. Yeah. I know true, he, true. He had a a rough situation uh, regarding his uh, digestive system. Oh, Jackie. Oh, no. No, no. no. Uh, so to be honest, I did not recognize. I had to ask uh, Bobby, who I was sitting next to, who is number 11? Who has that that haircut? Yes. I did uh, the same thing. <laughs> anyway, no. Uh, you know, Gio came in. He was apparently one of the people affected by the the stomach issue that was going on around the team. Um, But he still put in a really good shift, uh, got himself into one potential goal scoring opportunity and, you know, just put it wide. Uh, I I think that's a pretty good sign. Uh, He played 45 minutes. Uh, I I don't know if we would want to start him against Costa Rica, uh, especially in a game where the stakes are don't lose. 
too badly. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, no, I think you're right. Like, it's going to be a B team. Yeah. And, and that's what I was going to transition to in a second. Like, by the way, that Gio Reyna, like, no look cup ball. What a pass. I mean, yeah, that pass to, well, who's, De La Torre? Oh my God. It was like almost, like, it was almost mean how good that pass was. Cause, like, I, like, I was, I was rewatching that pass and I just, like, kept going back, like, rewinding during my rewatch. Cause I was like, he, he, his hips are fully facing the, like, sidelines, right? Like, there's, there's no human way that that ball should be going that accurately. Luca Della Torre, except it does. Oh my god! I mean, I just, forgot how good he was, dude. What a player! I mean, Dortmund, over the last two Dortmund games, Dortmund has a success with Marco Luce. Like, yeah, that that's a great point. Like, between Royce, they, they have just some creators at Dortmund who like hold that out of their bags. Sometimes I wonder how much that's rubbed off on him. Like, that's actually a point I hadn't considered, but that's yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I. He I does bet. still kind of look like he's growing into a man body. Yeah. You know what I mean? A little bit. Like, he was the way he runs. He what? was doing some defensive shit at the Azteca. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, and like, you know, the dribble. And like, he's had a great couple of games. Like, I think, I think, you know, like, there's no doubt that if his legs hold up, which everyone please collectively knock on anything wooden around you, like, he's he's on the plane, right? Like, if, if he can walk, he's on the plane. Um, yeah, but, but like, the, you know, there were some times when I was watching him run or something and like, you like, if he doesn't, um he doesn't have like the most graceful, graceful movement. Even that run, like in, in the Mexico game, like it wasn't like he looked smooth or elegant, you know, like that's what I mean by it looks like he's still growing into his man body a little bit. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I think that's a good place to end the Panama game. Uh, I think now we got to transition into the Costa Rica game just because the vibes are that good, just because barring an absolute disaster class worse than Cuba, um, we are going to go to the World Cup. This game looks like, from all reports on the ground, that it will not necessarily be the Costa Rica A team versus the United States A team for a multitude of reasons. Basically that there is a pretty ridiculous rule that makes it so even in transitioning from uh you know Confederation World Cup qualifiers to the intercontinental playoff, uh the one-off game to go to the World Cup it makes it so that if you pick up two yellow cards anywhere from that start of qualifying to the end of qualifying, you will not be allowed to play in that continental playoff. So that means that key Costa Rican players, such as Joel Campbell, Francisco Calvo, Celso Borges, none of those players would be able to play in uh, what we presume would Costa Rica's game versus either New Zealand or the Solomon Islands to go to the World Cup um, if they would get a yellow card against the U.S. Um, in Costa Rica. You're recording this uh, Tuesday, so tomorrow night, Wednesday. Uh, so the uh, reports out of uh, San Jose are that 
it will be a rotated Costa Rican team, almost like a B team, to account for these nine players that are on yellows that could potentially feature in that much more important game uh, in a couple months' time. I, I think that will slightly lower the stakes. It will make it slightly less of a uh, hold-your-breath-just-just-in-case situation. I think for the United States, it's going to be close to a full lineup. I, I don't see too many changes simply because there's no game after this, right? Like, the guys who are gassed, you give them a break. You give Jedi a break. Give, I don't know, uh, definitely Musa a break. Adams, I think you could give him a break if you wanted to. But I think for the most part, U.S. players are going to play because who else are you going to play? You know, um, I don't In think you arrange that necessarily. a lot of the. I think that the, a lot of the starters will want to be on the field for yeah. when we officially qualify. So I actually think that, like, if Greg was trying to be like, "You're not playing the next game," like he'd he'd hear about it. You know what I mean? Because I think the symbolism of being on the field and getting to say you like getting to be on the field for qualification. I think like we're underestimating oh, yeah. the importance of that to these players. No, I'm hundred percent with you on that. Uh, like I think Pulisic, I saw somebody saying like Pulisic's going to be, he's going to want to be on that field when that final whistle Especially goes. Especially after Kuva, right? Yeah. 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 I think Yedlin will be the same, right? Like I think yep. any of the guys that missed qualification in the last cycle are going to want to be on the field. And Areola. Right, and I think if the if the game really doesn't matter that much, I think Greg will respect that. Like, although I have noted his lack of self awareness previously, but I'm trying to give him a little bit of credit here because the vibes are immaculate. I don't like. Here's here's the one thing that is making me a little confused. Right, if if you're Costa Rica and you are like. There is no way that we're going to be able to qualify through the game that we are playing next. Why wouldn't you try to yellow card out all your people so everyone's safe for the qualifier? Well, mm-hmm. because there's no game after this. Because, like, if any no, of those no, guys- no, but if they were assuming that there would be a game after this game, if Costa Rica was assuming that, right? Then why wouldn't they? yellow card out all their players in the last game, which they won. Right. What I'm saying is they already won, like, they they won the game, right? Or... Seriously, at the end of the game, just line up all (laughs) nine of your players who are on yellows and just red rover into the opposing team's bench. I think that's strategy, I've got to say. Take the five. Let's let's go for it. I would like to see you coach a team, Jack. (laughs) I okay, well, <laughs> I was being serious. Not not about it looking like that, right? You know, I, I know what you to mean. To be clear. I think the issue... But if that was a must-win game for them, and they knew that this game would probably not be anything that was important, then why wouldn't they go extra ham in that game? Because it was a must-win game for them, and whatever, right? So to me, that says, like, if if people weren't going extra ham in the last game and were being careful in that game to not get yellows. To me, what that tells me is they think they have some sort of shot and they're going to put out their best people. I agree with you 100% there. I think this is the same logic why uh, Tyler Adams didn't eat a yellow in the last game of our last window to miss the game at the Azteca. 
And the same reason why we didn't, you know, do a full TB, a full B team in Mexico. I, I don't think Costa Rica is going to completely lie down, send out, you know, their U20 team and just get ready for uh, New Zealand in a few months. Um, also think about being a Costa Rica fan for a second, right? Or let's say the situations are swapped, right? Greg Berhalter has to beat Costa Rica 6-0 in order to qualify for the World Cup automatically. Otherwise, we're going to Qatar and playing a qualifier. No matter how improbable it was, like, could you imagine the fan base collectively if Greg put out, like, a starting lineup of, like, I don't know, Donovan Pines and, like, I don't know, he called Jackson Ewell out of nowhere and was like, I don't know, play. Like, I want to protect Tyler Adams. Like, people would be, like, absolutely furious no matter what, right? Because there is still the expectation that you're going to give it your best shot. And, like, like even no matter how improbable it was. And so I, I just don't see a world in which you're playing, like, a fully or even mostly rotated squad because at least for the first half, I think – Costa Rica is going to go in there being like, we're at home. We've eaten the U.S. pretty badly here before. And this is literally it, you know, for them. Like, until until it isn't, it is. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I'm with you. I feel the same way. Except for the fact that every reporter on the ground is saying that it will be a B team. Like, I, I understand. Yeah, but remember when Greg said that he was going to play Jordan Peapock against Panama? I mean, he didn't say he would play Jordan Pifog against Panama. He said that Pifog's like skill set lends itself well to an opponent like Panama. I I don't think he said it explicitly, and I'm not saying that we won't see. Look, I think I think you are picking apart the words when the point I'm making is valid. No, I the point you're making is that's what I'm saying. Like your point is 100 percent valid. Like I, in a vacuum, I agree with your point 100. percent But I'm saying that like it just doesn't seem that likely based off what we know. I think I just saw, I pulled up the uh, tweet from Grant Wall um, like 23 hours ago. It said, a general mood here in Costa Rica, congrats to USA on making the World Cup. I think we can make the World Cup by beating New Zealand. Like, I think if the fans are feeling that, I think if the feeling is that in like, from our most trusted reporters is that it's going to be a B-side, my guess is we're not going to see Joel Campbell in this game. I, I don't think we're going to see Francisco Calvo in this game. We're not going to see those key... Rune, I don't know if we can say, like, you have an opinion on this, because I think most... The easiest opinion is just, like, play your best people. If your best people are the ones who give you a, even a very, very minuscule chance to make the World Cup directly. But I guess, how do you see this game going, at least from, like, a lineup's perspective? I think Costa Rica being pragmatic because Costa Rica historically are a pretty pragmatic team. And what I see them doing is saying, we're not going to beat the U.S. by six because even when the U.S. were at the very worst and we were good, we did not beat them by six. And we have a much, 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 much better chance of just beating New Zealand with a full sense team. So I think they're going to just... They're going to keep the players they need for the New Zealand game. They're going to keep them in a in a box and be like, do not 
don't touch because we do not want to lose these players in the game. We actually need to win. But something like 14 of their players are on yellows. Nine, I think. So that, okay, sure. I was being a little exaggerative, but you understand the point that I'm making, right? Like you're saying that they're not going to play nine of their best people, including their miraculous goalkeeper. I understand the point you're making. It's just with these kinds of odds, when if it was like win and Mexico lose, you're in. Yeah, okay, I get, I can see that. But it's win by six goals. I don't I don't buy that's going to work. I do not buy that they they are willing to go for that minuscule of a chance when they have a much much better chance in the game right after that and. I don't no. necessarily know that they're going for the very, very improbable 6-0 win or 7-1, 8-2. Uh, <laughs> but I do not think that there's any part of them that is okay with losing that game. You know, no. the Costa Rica fans... Uh, may have been pretty pleasant with Grant Wall. Uh, I don't know how pleasant they've historically been to our players, but I can just imagine the reaction that a passionate fan base will have in the stadium if we go down there and even, you know, squeak out a late one nothing winner. Uh, I, after never beating them, um, I, I, I don't think a coach is willing to take that risk. I think, um, they're, they're expecting a full stadium. I think 36 K is what, um, Sam and Paul were saying in their latest vid. I, I think that's just, you can't, if those people expect an A lineup, can't give them at least a performance worthy of a B lineup. I think that's how I'm going to put it. I I think that they will probably still rest those players because I think pragmatism has to win out in this situation. But from a moral standpoint, from a rabid fan base, and potentially the, the last qualifier that Costa Rica will be fielding this golden generation, you almost have to have some of them see the field or else, I mean, you risk alienating your fan base a little bit. I think they also have to hold out the hope that Mexico maybe loses, right? If we're if we're talking about improbabilities, if Mexico loses and Costa Rica wins, I think they're I you y'all about to correct me on this, but I think the difference in their goal differential is like four or five, right? And that's a much more reasonable scoreline to beat us by. Um and so like when you're like, right, in the same way that, like, I, I just can't shake 2017. I don't think I will shake the fear until we are qualified, period. No, in unless is involved, right? Um, and I remember us thinking, well, this improbable thing can't happen. This improbable thing won't happen. Well, there's no way that they're going to win. And, like, and then, and somehow Omar Gonzalez flubbed the goal into, or flubbed the ball into our goal, and then, I, I don't know, Panama scored a goal that they didn't actually score and then we were out of the World Cup, right? In the same way, like, like in Costa Rica's head, right, thinking about the statistics that led to, 
or the statistical unlikelihoods that led to us not qualifying last time. In Costa Rica's heads, easily, it's Mexico could lose to El Salvador, and then we just have to beat the U.S. by two or three. Yeah. And so there's no reason why you wouldn't play at least an A minus lineup because, like, you have, like, right? Because you have to hold out that hope. Again, if we were in that same situation, like, there is just no freaking way that the players would allow it. That, like, even Greg Bearhalter, I think, would want to do it that way. Like, the fan base, as, as Nate said, as nice as they were to one of America's most prominent soccer writers, um, like, and, and of course they were, uh, and even if the coach says, yeah, we're planning on rotating or whatever, like there's just no way. Right. And, and maybe, maybe like they will be pragmatic, but then I'd kind of be disappointed. Um, because like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not Costa Rican. Maybe I don't need to be disappointed, but it would be, I'd be bummed if they didn't even uh, try, you know? Yeah, I, I, w- I want them to try because this is the this is the game that will definitely beater if we can get a win or get something get get a positive result um coming out of this game. Really, how immaculate would the vibe I mean, be if, if, if Mexico we... did lose and they had to go to the playoffs and Costa Rica qualified? Well, well the way that, that would work... I'm just saying, it would require us losing. We but like do I... what we should have done in 2014 and let Panama win. I, like, I'm just saying. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, It would just feel so much sweeter if we won this game. Not only the game to put us in the qualifying, the first ever win uh, at Costa Rica in World Cup qualifying, it would just feel so much sweeter. Uh, I just made the executive decision that tonight will not be the sentimental podcast. That will be reserved for when we qualify for the World Cup. Um, so All right, I think I'll save can... my song about Luca De La Torre until that one. Right, right. I think I think we that qualify pod... for the World Cup, Joey. If if we go to the World Cup. I know. I think, I think in probably Thursday or Friday, you guys can expect, or probably Friday, you guys can expect to hear that one. Um, plus, it will. That will be the culmination of just so much pent up anxiety and fear, and the end of a chapter in so many different soccer stories of so many different people in and around the team, not only fans but players, journalists, everybody. Um, who has some vested interest in this team. I think I kind of want to leave off this pod and leave off uh, our preview of this Costa Rica game where we get into like the actual predictions. of. I, I, I'm wondering how the U.S. will come out, at least in intensity. How do you guys see that coming? Because... We laid it all out there in Orlando, and we picked up a massive result, one that really should put us in the World Cup. How do you guys see the, simply from the emotional and the, I want to get up and I'm going to run that extra sprint aspect of this net, of this game that will be the last in qualifying for quite some time? I think I see so, the speaking- picking up toward the end of the game when the U.S. realizes that they have qualified. Do you see what I mean? Like, 
I see people getting more hyped later on when things are looking good, if things are looking good. Oh, gosh. Um, Because you're right. I think it's because, as you said, it's when we were talking about Shaq Moore, it's not the most important game of or the most important moment of the last year. It's literally the most important moment since October 2017. And as much as I, you know, don't shut up about remembering sitting at a bar after watching the game that we watched, uh, I, I, I can only imagine that it is 1,000 times worse for the players that were there or on the field or watching from home or whatever, you know? So I think maybe the start of the game won't be as intense because I think if we start with our starters, they will want to be on the field at 90 minutes, and so they won't want to gas out. Does that make sense? That makes plenty of sense. Nate, were you going to say something? Yeah. The game. Uh, I was just going to say, my concerns aren't necessarily related to the effort that I think the players are going to give, but I'm legitimately concerned now after hearing how many people have some sort of stomach issue that's really not fun to even just you know sit around watching the game on the couch how does that even happen how do 20 people have a stomach issue at the same time probably a water issue with where they were staying i got really i got a pretty bad stomach bug the last time i was in mexico uh because I, I mean, nothing against Didn't Mexico bring the to bread be clear. Up. But yeah, nothing against Mexico to be clear. But this happened to me and my family, despite us being very good travelers and knowing how this shit works typically. Um, and so my guess is there was a water issue or some bad lasagna a la Tottenham Hotspur or something. But that's a fair point, Nate, because the problem with stomach issues isn't just that it's painful at the moment. It's that, like, you're not holding nutrition down. So, like, recovery is going to be terrible for Gio Reyna. Um, I think he'll want to stubbornly be on the field. But, like, you right. Brent, did you have anything on that kind of... I guess it's a weird juxtaposition of, like, we should be up for this game. Off the emotional high of certainly do probably since the whole cup elite. The good news, I guess, for this game is we didn't play all lost autos in the last game. So theoretically, a lot of the first choice players aren't wouldn't be affected the same way the players who were on the field in the last game were. And I imagine they would be looking to put a statement because you beat Costa, you basically beating Costa Rica is we have never gotten a point in Costa Rica and we usually lose badly. You win this game, it's a statement. And I think the mentality, sort of similar to the way Mexico game is, prove that we are the best or whatever, and they're going to try to win. Now, I don't know if the stomach bug is going to affect them, but I'm pretty, I feel good that this team is going to go out and try to win this game, and they're going to put everything to win. Yeah. No, I I, I think the U.S. team 
knows that the incredibly cathartic moment was in Orlando, that the real emotional moment is going to be when the final whistle blows. And I think that they're going to try and play like it. Like, we have, like you said, guys, it's not a full lineup. I mean, so many players rotated from the 2017-18 window because we didn't qualify. Like, there, like there's a, um, a direct correlation between that. It didn't just happen by accident. But there are players who were on that field, were on that bench when those results were coming in and when they realized mm-hmm. that, no, we weren't going to the World mm-hmm. Cup. Christian Pulisic, maybe the most famous, um, because of his contributions over the last couple um, years, because he is the face of the team and because he was crying on that field after that game. But not only just him, guys like Paul Ariola, um, and, and guys like, I don't even, like, probably coaches and staff who were with the team. Like, people forget about them and the emotional investment that they have. They never get talked about. And yet, for them, this will serve that kind of same purpose of, I mean, like, we're back now, and those people who have had to do all the dirty work only to see us not go to the World Cup are not are going to be able to have that on their resume, too. Like, this is not just players. This is a federation that has lost out on four years, and hopefully, if we qualify on Wednesday, we'll have rectified that. So that's just... It's just very heartwarming stuff. And like I said, our real sentimental pod where I'm really going to try and dive, kind of look back at qualifying, you know, kind of go into the real emotional aspects of the last four years and kind of righting those wrongs, hopefully. Um, That'll be uh, probably Thursday or Friday. So before we head out of here, I want everybody's score predictions, similar to how I've done it the last couple pods. Um. I guess we'll start with Karun. Uh, what's your score prediction? I'll take a Dos To U.S.? Yeah. Okay, solid. Uh, Jackie? Realistically, I think it's going to be like a 1-1 draw, but I, there is a part of me that is desperately hoping for the chaos outcome, um, which would be Mexico losing to El Salvador by a couple of goals, uh, Costa Rica beating us 1-0, uh, and Mexico having to go to that playoff instead of Costa Rica. I understand we would like the win in Costa Rica, but I would like Mexico to suffer more. Sorry. If we, if I had a guarantee that Mexico are losing, I'd be like, yo, give, them, give Costa Rica all the goals they need. Get this team in New Zealand or whatever. Right. I mean, there is a part of me that wants like Brian Ruiz and, you know, all the 40 year olds on that roster to get their last one, you know, last World Cup and stuff like genuinely, I think partially because of what you were talking about with the nostalgia and with the with the generation of players that we lost because we didn't make the 2018 World Cup who never got to play their last World Cup. There is genuinely a part of me that would like Costa Rica to get that. And also, I'm still mad about like Ache Ache clawing Brendan Aronson's eyes out. So it would it would be nice if the chaos outcome happened. Don't think it's going to, but that would love it if that if that outcome happens. That will be insane. I like it. Call me Nostradamus if that happens. That will be the craziest thing. Anyways, Nate, uh, score prediction. I'm gonna say 
it's going to be one nothing Costa Rica heading into the half and come out second half. Happy brace finishes four one. Four. What? Pulling a Honduras. Two one. Rico does not like that slander. Um. I, I'm gonna go that we're down. I'm gonna I'm gonna say we're down one 0 at the half, and we have a a few speeches. One from Greg, one from Walker Zimmerman. Um, and I don't know. I, I feel like uh, what's the speech? Like, give me a quote from the speech. Uh, Walker Zimmerman. Probably a few f bombs, but oh, Greg, I'll do Greg. Um, I'm assuming that they went to the Costa Rican jungle, so maybe we have to um. Grow a pair of wings and fly like a Quetzal or something like that. Um, oh, so dumb. Um, I don't know. Something, maybe some animal reference to some recent experience that they've had, a la the uh, the wolves in Cincinnati. Um, and I, I think we come out and we 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 grab a two one win. I think based off that emotion. And based off hopefully those good vibes. So, I think we can be together and hoping for those good vibes. Uh, like I've said, you can uh, catch us probably Friday. Um, we'll be back in these same places. Hopefully the pod will also be out on Friday. Uh, breaking down not just that Costa Rica game, but the journey of qualifying, the journey of the last four and a half years since Cuba leading uh, to tomorrow night where we will take on Costa Rica and San Jose with um, the opportunity, really the moment that we will make our triumphant return to the World Cup. So hopefully I'll see you guys then. It will be another roundtable pod. So all are welcome to hop on and more details will be coming out then. So I want to thank all you guys for talking with me. It's been a lot of fun. Um, Listeners, I hope you enjoyed it too. And so until Friday, I... uh, Hope that you guys um, really enjoy tomorrow night because it should be just a ton of fun. So, yeah, until Friday night, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and I will see you then. Thank you guys so much for listening, and here's to, hopefully, a birth to the 2022 World Cup.